by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Well, let's get into today's message. You know, we're in our series, Heaven is All Around Us. It's a, it's a series based on learning some spiritual warfare, as we found out last week. You know, uh, many of you know we minister down at the jail every Sunday night. We'll be there again this night. Uh, I believe last week, was it 24 salvations we saw at the jail last Sunday night? Where's old Tom at? He would know. Yeah! (laughs) If you can't get excited about salvations, boy, we're at the wrong church. We sure, we sure at the wrong church because it says over here that everyone matters. And we're there to restore all who have lost their way. So we go into the jail. has been doing it for probably close to 20 years now. Uh, 24 salvations this Sunday. And some people say, well, you know, I don't know if you can trust them jailhouse salvations. Well, let me tell you, some of the best preachers that I know that's ever walked the face of this earth got saved in the jailhouse. But there are some, you know, that'll get saved in the jail and then go back to their pod and cuss up a storm and go right back to their way of life. I understand that. You understand that. But we got to do what we got to do. We plant water, and it's God that brings the increase. In fact, I was ministering this Sunday at the jail, and I ain't sweet and nice to them like I am to y'all. Tell them, Brother Joe. I I tell them like it is. I put on the evangelist uh, in me at the jail, and I I was giving it to them how they need to get saved and so forth. And they were seeming to be holding on to every word that I was saying. And I was about to bring my message home. You know, we were going to do an altar call and people were going to get saved. And it was the presence of God was in the room. And then a female guard walks by and they all like. (laughs) They were Googling without a computer. (laughs) And I thought to myself, isn't that a picture of humanity? Isn't that a picture of how fragile our attention spans are. I just sat there, didn't a, I didn't say a word for like two minutes. I was in there. I was stunned. <laughs> word of God, prison guard. Word of God, prison guard. I mean, this, <laughs> I mean it wasn't like she was in a bikini or something. <laughs> She's got a gun on. James chapter 1, starting in verse 5, says, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. And some of us need some wisdom. He will not rebuke you for asking. Some of you are scared to go to God and ask him for anything. Don't be. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty Word of God, prison guard. Is unsettled as a wave of the sea and is blown and tossed about by the wind. Maybe some of you are saying, that sounds like my life. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world. And they're unstable in everything they do. Now some of you are saying, that's not me, I'm a good Christian, I do this. Come on now. 
Some of you know how you wake up in the morning and 20 minutes, you wake up happy and 20 minutes later you're cussing, cussing the dog, you know, or beating the dog or something. Our lives all have a little wavering, a little being blown and tossed about, a little loyalty divided, if we would be honest. Sometimes we don't give God all of our attention, and some of us become a little unstable because of it. We're, but we're not called, as Gary would say, to be Christian yo-yos. That's not who we're called to be. Up and down, in and out, walking the dog, round the world. Any yo-yo people in here? Y'all don't remember that. That was, that was like 40 years ago. These kids never even seen a yo-yo. Look at them looking at me. A yo-yo? What is that? Google it. Yeah. <laughs> but some of us feel like we're living life on a roller coaster. We're on the way up. Oh, no, we're on the way down. <laughs> we're a church deacon one minute. The next minute, we're backslidden. You had not seen them for six months. Where'd they go? They were supposed to usher today. You know what I mean? Up and down. We're going to talk about that today because some of us always feel like we're being blown off our center. And it's not our intention. I guarantee you there's nobody in here sitting there thinking, well, I wish I was more flaky. Why are y'all laughing at that? That's not funny. <laughs> Nobody wants to be like that. Nobody wants to be here one minute and not here the next. But listen to this. This is on your sheet. It's not good intentions. Because you have good intentions. It's not good intentions that give you the consistent success you see other people enjoy. It's firm decisions. Are you listening? What is it? Firm decisions. And today's message is entitled, Choosing a Firm Footing. I got a candy bar for the first person who can tell me today's number. Who said it first? Be honest. I did think it came from over here, but I wasn't sure. I, know, I heard you. But I'm going to give it to Mary Ellen because I, I believe it came from over here. The number is on your bulletin. Ah, got you, didn't I? I did this just to bring attention to our bulletins. Because many of you are not reading your announcements. And how do I know you're not reading announcements? Because all day yesterday, the day of the fall fest, what do I need to bring? When a sign-up sheet has been back there for two weeks, it's been on our... Announcements. Boy, I'm tearing y'all up. We, and this is the pastor we appreciate? <laughs> I'm getting y'all good this morning. You know you like it. <laughs> I ain't got to that part yet. But those good folks in Utah on the in the mountains of Utah, they had no idea what was going to hit them back in 1985 when two Mississippi boys showed up in their orange FedEx jumpsuits to go snow skiing. 
Has anybody ever seen those old orange FedEx jumpsuits? I mean, bright orange from head to toe with stripes, reflectors all over them so you don't get run over at the airport? They were warm, and that's about all. That's all I cared about. When I went, I'm thinking snow skiing, I'm thinking warm. And so that's what I brought with me. You see, I was, what, 20-something? 20 and, and back then, you could ride on the FedEx planes in the cockpit, and you could go for somewhere for free. So we decided, we, how long can we go snow skiing? Let's save up our money. We could go one day. <laughs> so we went that morning and came back that afternoon without no sleep. But we, we jump-seated to Utah, and we got there, and... Uh, I, think, I was thinking to myself, this is going to be easy. You know, snow skin, I'm an athlete. I can do that. And so I rented my snow boots and stuff, and, and, I, and I put the boots on, and they had me leaning forward about like this. And I'm like, is this right? And I took them off trying to put them on. I've got them on right. There's only one way to put them on. And so I put them on, and my nose hair is like sweeping the floor in front of me. It got me leaning over. I said, this couldn't be right. Maybe this snow skiing ain't as easy as I thought. And they got these poles. And so I come doing this number out of the little lobby there. And right out the front of the door, there's the snow. And there's this little gradual incline to where they get on the ski lift. Now, they had suggested to me that I take ski lessons first. Who needs to take ski lessons? I mean, I only got one day here, right? I might as well get to some straight to the skiing part. So as I come out of the opening doors and put my first ski on that snow, in that little gradual incline, I started gradually going fast. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm doing this number here with these ski poles, and there's ropes where people are waiting in line, and I go right through them. <laughs> and I take about eight people with me. <laughs> and I mean, everybody's getting up, and, they're, and then they're saying some words that ain't real kind. And I heard the word ski lesson several times out of, out of the bunch. But I get up, and, and I'm still thinking, I got this. I that was just my first attempt, you know, and the, gra the grade was about like that, you know. You could barely see it. So I finally get up to the front of the line, and the ski lift, if you've ever been there, comes by, and you're supposed to stand in front of it, and it catches you, and it takes you up on the mountain to the top. Well, being six foot three, clumsy, with size 14 feet, I got in front of that ski lift, and when it hit me on the back of my calves, it folded me like a cheap suit. And my foot got hung in the back and it ripped one of my skis off. And I'm going up in the air with one. And I looked and I got a warm sock in the cool mountain breeze, you know. And I'm thinking, I'm not going all the way to the top without my ski. I'm not slaloming. I ain't that good. And so I didn't know what to do. I'm only about 15 feet in the air, so I jumped off. <laughs> there was plenty of snow down there to, to catch me. It didn't hurt too bad. But that guy running the snow ski lift thing, he didn't appreciate it none. He had to stop the whole miles of ski lift, and people were like, what happened? You know? He starts cussing me four days past Sunday, and I'm from Mississippi. I don't cotton to that kind of stuff. And so I'm thinking, boy, I'm finna get up here, and I'm collecting skis, and I'm trying to climb that mountain, and I'm sliding back down, and I'm climbing back up, and I can't get up here, and I wear myself completely out. Finally, he has to come down there and grab me and bring me back up the hill. And by the time I got there, I wasn't ready to fight no more. In fact, I'm just tired of thinking about it. My legs was parking company. And have you ever, anybody in here ever skied? It ain't as easy as it looked. And this was just getting on the ski lift. I'll tell you later, 
about the rest of the story. But I will tell you in advance, if you don't take ski lessons, life is going to go downhill quick. <laughs> but some people, you know, things just come easy. Don't you get mad at those people? Everything seems to come easy. They never miss church. They tithe. Like Brother Bill, you know, it comes easy to him, you know. He doesn't ever think twice. He just puts his money and trusts God in there, you know. He finds his calling. There's people like that. They're using their gifts and talents, and you're thinking, I don't even have any gifts and talents. I don't know how to find mine. And some people are able to break addictions and uh, strongholds in their life, and they just make it look easy. These are the kind of people that diet and exercise and all that stuff and stay healthy, those people. And, and we just stay mad at them, you know, but secretly <laughs> we wish. Let's look at a comparison. Let's see how some people are able to do these miraculous feats and some people stay on that roller coaster. Let's look at Jesus versus Peter. Who do you think is going to win? Not really a fair comparison, but we can see what went wrong because none of us are Jesus either. But if we do like Jesus, we can have Jesus' victory. In Luke twenty-two fourteen, 14, okay, it says, When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. They were at the last supper. Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. So he's saying right there, he knows what's about to happen. He knows he's fixing to go to the cross and everything that's going to happen in between. He knows his suffering is, is imminent. He's already told the disciples several times, we've got to go to Jerusalem and I'll be, the Son of Man will be killed and, and so forth. So he knows what's going on. He knows what's been asked of him. So does he run from it? Or does he run out to try to do it in his own strength? No. He goes to the garden. Say go to the garden. Because see, you've got to go to the garden with your inconsistencies. You got to go to the garden with your addictions, with your temper, with your bouts of depression, with your laziness, with the things that you don't like about yourself. You need to go to the garden first before you just set out with your own willpower try to change things. Jesus goes to the garden. And if we're going to see God's kind of success in our life, we're going to have to go to the garden. See, God, the garden is where you trade your will and your success for God's will and his success. You know what I mean by the garden? Does, does everybody know that he went to the garden and that's where he kneeled down and prayed? That's where he nailed it down? Yes, God, I do know it's your will. Father, my flesh don't want to do this. If there be another way, he knew what had to be done. He asked, but the answer was, Jesus, you are the way. You're the only way. And so he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And see, what he did was he made a firm decision. Say firm decision. Before God. He made a firm decision, not just on his own, in his own strength and thinking, but he made it before God. And a firm footing 
which is what we're talking about, how to get your feet underneath you, a firm footing is going to require some firm decisions. What, y'all not mind readers? What? See, it's, it's how Jesus overcome hell. It's all the hell the devil could throw at him. And then he come out the victor. Not just a victor, but the victor because he operated in God's strength. Because he was willing to go to the lowest parts of the earth, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every other name because he was willing to do God's will, whatever it may be. Isn't that what you want to be said about you? That you did God's will on the earth? That you accomplished all he said about for you to do? So how did poor Peter fare? Not so much. Luke twenty two thirty three. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you, and I'll even die for you. See, Peter knew hard times was coming too. And here he is declaring, he's making a firm decision. Sounds like Peter's making a firm decision. I'm willing. And some of you have made firm decisions. I'm not going to eat that cheesecake anymore. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be at church when the doors are open. I'm going to do this. You've made firm decisions. What's the difference? Well, Jesus jumped up on a hickory stump and said, boy, let me tell you what. No, that was the devil. Verse 34 says, Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny that you even know me three times. But, but Peter, you seemed... To have it all together, you, you talked a good game. You seemed stable, resolute, Peter. Why is Jesus, why was Jesus able to carry out his firm decision when many times me and you, not so much, right? Well, I'm going to sum it up right here. Jesus made his firm decision before God. Based on, on God's will, on God's power, and he prayed it all out fervently. Those are keys. Luke twenty two forty three says, Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. See, once Jesus got to praying, he started laying it all out before God. He made a firm decision. He said, God, I... I want your will to be done. God sent some, some strengthening agents. See, if you're just trying to accomplish your will, well, you're on your own. But if you're trying to accomplish God's will and you're turning it over to him, he might send you an angel to strengthen you. He prayed more fervently. See, some of us, me included, I pray a lot, but a lot of my prayers is just, God, help me. You know what I'm saying? I can be going through the worst thing in the world. It's like, God, I need your help. God, help me. But that's not fervently. See, James says, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Effectual, according to God's word and his will, and it's fervent. It says Jesus sweat great drops of blood. Think about that, what it would take to agonize in prayer. Have you ever got right and real before God? 
Some of us think of him as just some magic genie in the sky and we throw up our prayer list to him. But if you're serious about life, if you're serious about your will and where you're headed in this course of this, your life, you need to get down on your face and you need to pray it out. Holding on to the horns of the altar. God, I'm not leaving until I know your will. Until you help me. Fervently. In verse 45, it says, At last he stood up again and he returned to the disciples only to find them asleep. See, Peter was one of them disciples asleep while Jesus was praying. There's your difference. Verse 46 says, Jesus said, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. Don't you think temptation has something to do with why you're not able to carry out your will, God's will? I wrote this, armed only with good intentions, we give in to temptations. Like I said, we all have good intentions. We all have that. But if that's all you got, you're going to give in to temptation every time. Oh, I got this good intention not to have sex before marriage. But me and this hot chick, we're going out and we're, she's coming over to my place. What's going to happen to your good intentions? You need more than good intentions. You see, Peter didn't even really know God's will. He thought he did. He wasn't willing to pray it out. and He thought he'd just bully his way through life. Men are especially bad about that. Thinking, I'll just make it happen in my own brute strength. And we'll... We'll dig this trench around this same mountain. I'll get up tomorrow and I'll really try. It didn't work last time, but I'm going to really try harder this week. Man, that boss is dictating my life. and I can't, I can't even get to church. But I'm going to really try harder at work this week. And things will change. And things don't change. When the pressure came, Peter resorted to what he knew best. He pulled out his sword and cut off the soldier's ear. He just resorted to his physical strength. His own natural ability. But Jesus wasn't impressed. Jesus doesn't need your natural ability. He's a supernatural God. If his super's not on your natural, then your, your natural don't mean anything. Jesus was not impressed. And then a con confused Peter, he did the unthinkable. He did what he had swore he would never do. He denied Jesus, didn't he? And see, that's what we... We start out with these good intentions and we bulldog our way through things and sometimes we have victory but it begins to wear at us because you can't carry the load by yourself. You're going to need the super. He had been so sure that he was holding Jesus up. You remember last Sunday's message? Who's holding who up here? Hadn't Jesus changed his name to Peter which means the rock? Right? Right? 
And once again, Peter had sunk like a rock when he got his eyes off the Lord. Isn't that true? <laughs> who holds who up? Who holds who up? I'm glad you're strong, fellas. Ladies, I'm glad you have all your strengths. But it's not enough. It's not enough. I mean, it's enough to get by. It's enough to live a life full of regrets. It's enough to dig a big old trench around that mountain. But I don't know about you, I want to go over the mountain. I want to spend some mountaintop time. I want to see good days and victory. I want to see what God has for those who love him. I want to be one of more than conquerors. Just me. And then Peter makes another huge mistake after all that. You, you notice once you start making mistakes, you, you just pile on another mistake on top of mistakes. Instead of running back to Jesus after he denied him and saying, I'm sorry, he ran from Jesus. He's ashamed. And that's our natural inclination to run from whoever we've hurt. I saw it on... Somebody said on the other day or something on something, one of those social networks and something. And I can't even remember what it was now. My setup for it was so long I forgot what I was saying. No, but it was something along the lines of uh, why do people, even when they know they're wrong, they've wronged somebody, they would just rather not talk to them anymore than go say they're sorry. Something along those lines. But I'm going to tell you this, our longevity as a Christian, if you're going to stay in it for the long haul, if you're going to be solid, if you're not going to be one of those Christian yo-yos, you're going to have to tap into 1 John 1-9. It's going to be, have to be a foundational scripture in your life. Some of you don't even know what it says, but you need to make it part of your life. 1 John 1-9 says, for if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And you have to believe it. You have to understand that we're going to make mistakes, and there's no excuse for it. We have the power to overcome sin, but we do make mistakes. But we got to come running back. That's where victory is found. He will forgive you. He wants you in the race. He doesn't want you running from the race. So a dejected Peter says, I love how it says in the King James, I go a fishing. Some of you know what that's like. Some of you have gotten out of church and seemed like I can't go back now. What are they going to say? There's people that I know right now won't return my phone calls because they think I'm mad at them. I am not mad at anybody. I understand human nature. I, if I call you, it's because I love you. And I want to compel you to ask for forgiveness with God and make it right. I'm trying to help you do the right thing. But they go fishing. He went right back to what he was before Jesus because he's mad at himself. He's embarrassed, thinking he doesn't have what it takes. He doesn't realize he's finally right. You don't have what it takes. 
But Jesus wasn't going to let him off that easy. Jesus went seeking out Peter. Went and found him on the lake shore. Called out to him. Friends, have you caught any fish? No, you're still not catching nothing, Peter. Why don't you throw your net on my side of the boat? <laughs> Woo! That is some good preaching, isn't it? Mm. Thank you, Lord, for seeking us out. The good news is, as dejected as Peter was when he saw the Lord, he couldn't help himself. He's back in the lake again. This time he doesn't swim. I mean, he doesn't sink like a rock. He swims for Jesus. And Jesus restores Peter. And in the process, he gets a greater understanding of God's mercy. Sometimes you've got to make mistakes before you understand the mercy of God. Look, you made a mistake? Welcome to the club. We're not the perfect people. We're the getting back up people. <laughs> Jesus resurrects Peter's purpose again. Feed my sheep. Take care of my lambs. Don't forget what you're called to do, Peter. The rock on which Jesus builds his church, you know, Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church. The rock on which Jesus built his church is not on Peter's shoulders. Peter misunderstood. He's a little piece of the rock. But he is not the rock. Look at your neighbor and say, you're not the rock. Look at your neighbor and say, take that pressure off of you. The rock is this. Not Peter, but the revelation Peter had. That thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus is Christ, not you. Look at your neighbor and say, you're not Jesus. Look at your other neighbor and say, he holds us up. And if somebody's looking at an empty chair next to you, shame. <laughs> next week, fill it up. <laughs> Psalms 18.31 says, For who is God besides our Lord? And who is the rock except our God? 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. He's the rock on which we stand. So that's how you build your life. You want some firm footing, you've got to build your life on the rock. Not on the shifting sand. The storm's going to come against everybody. But you better dig deep. Either Jesus is Lord of your life, or he ain't. If you claim him to be Lord, but you, he ain't making the decisions in your life, you're something he never designed. He never intended. Somebody to claim him, but not obey him. Man, I didn't even mean for this to be a tough message. I guess God did. Well, let's, let's shift gears just for a moment. We're going to take a side trail. The world says we should think outside the box. But I'm telling you, God says we should think inside the book. 
<laughs> successful people, successful spiritual people, they work with inside biblical boundaries. Do you know what I'm saying? They don't just make it up as they go along. They work within biblical boundaries. Life outside of God's restraints leads to a land flowing with milk and honey. Honey bunches of oats, a bunch of nuts and flakes. No, life outside don't do, ain't going to get you the life. It ain't going to get you to the land flowing with milk and honey that God's talking about. You want cereal jokes? I got cereal jokes. Angie's saying, no, I don't want to. Well, how did Reese eat her cereal? With her spoon. <laughs> let, me, let me move on. I got more, but I'm not going to. I've got one tell us later and two one more. Who wants to hear one more? Y'all don't want to. All right, your mama's so poor, your family ate cereal with a fork to save milk. <laughs> I could have wrote a whole list of them, but I didn't. I, I spared y'all. See how God does? He hits us hard, but then he wants us to laugh about it. Laughter is a good medicine. See, the world might say that someone like Howard Hughes was hugely successful. After all, he made a ton of money, right? But did you know he ended up a recluse? He ended up eating Hershey bars and pecans for like months of his life. Only Hershey bars and pecans. He used to keep his urine stored in jars in his bedroom. And he would wear Kleenex boxes for slippers. Why? Because you get awful flaky outside the boundaries of God's Word. The flesh will lead us to some strange places. Boy, if we knew all your habits, the things that you're doing in your life, we'd probably think you're strange. You'd probably think I'm strange. Left to its own, our flesh is strange. That's why we have to renew our minds with the Word of God be spirit-led through much prayer and develop new habits because life is a fluid situation. There's going to be new twists and turns this week. I know I'm hitting a whole new set of principles here, but we can't trust anybody else to keep us straight. I'm getting back to the part where we have to walk the straight and narrow by letting Jesus be Lord of our lives and to lead us. Nobody else can keep us on the straight and narrow. Your spouse can't do it. She might can help you, or he might can help you. Your boss can't do it. They may sign your paycheck. I'm the pastor. I can't do it. People are not your source. People are not your source. You have to have your own relationship with God. Either Jesus is your Lord, or I can guarantee you something. People will end up knowing he's not. And we'll end up seeing you post pictures of your Kleenex box shoes on Facebook. 
Because what's in your life is going to come out. And if you're not basing what you believe and how you receive and how you act and how you go forth in this life upon this book, you will be flaky. Flakes and nuts. Pastor, how in the world has this got to do with spiritual warfare? I thought we was on a series on spiritual We are. Because guess what? Have you ever tried to fight somebody while standing on a sheet of ice? You ain't going to hit nobody. And if you do, it ain't going to hurt. You're not going to have any leverage. You can't fight without being on firm footing. I'm trying to get, I don't know why, but the Lord always takes us back to foundational stuff when we start a series. Have you noticed? You got to get the foundation right or the house is going to be crooked and fall over. Tell you what I learned on that ski trip. Thought I didn't need ski lessons. So I got to the top of the mountain. When I come out like this, and then I got to the edge, it ain't what you think. If you've never been up there, it looks like, you know, it's just, it's like, it, this was like a beginner hill, and it was like, I couldn't believe how steep it was. I said, everybody else is doing it. Surely I can do it. And maybe some of you are saying that in your life. I said, I know this. I got to keep, because I learned it from trying to climb that hill. You got to keep those skis together and, and keep your balance. So I used those poles, and I edged up to, the, to where it started going downhill. And those boots had me leaned over, so I started going downhill. And I kept on going downhill. And he's at 20 miles an hour. And he's, he's at 30 miles an hour. And his knees are buckling. But he's at 45 miles an hour. And I didn't know what to do. And I knew I was going to crash. So I, I just tried to lay back. And I said. And about 50 feet later. They said we can build him faster and stronger. It was like the crash of the $6 million man. And skis were over here and over there. And so I'm still on the side of this mountain, you understand. So if I try to stand up, I slide back down. Took me 20 minutes to gather my stuff. I'm sweating in this orange jumpsuit. And I put my skis back on, and every time I try to get up, I just go back down the hill. Took me another 20 minutes to, to learn how to even get back on my feet. And that's where some of us are. We just took off down the hill of life, and we didn't have any ski lessons. And we crashed, and we burned. And let me tell you, when they do this number, and then do this number, that's firm decisions to slow the roll. That's what that's doing to keep you from going 80 miles an hour. You got to slow the roll. What's your will? Oh, this way. Who? You go down sideways. You don't go down face first. And when you do crash, you got to get back up. You got to put your skis on again. You can't live on that mountain. It's going to get cold that night. You got to get down to the bottom. 
you've got to finish the race. I come rolling down the bottom of the mountain somewhere around noon after getting up there early in the morning. I knew how to ski by the time I got down there, but I barely survived it. That ain't the way we're supposed to do it. Today is a ski lesson. I'm showing you a ski lesson today. <laughs> and it's just about firm decisions. I've learned to seek God's will through prayer. Your will doesn't matter. Your will. You think you know where you're going, but you don't. You don't know nothing. God knows yesterday, today, and forever. Like, right there in front of him. He knows the thoughts that he and the plans that he has for you. You don't. Man, you're just making this stuff up as you go. Why don't you pray it out? Stop going around that mountain. And then while you're with him, while you're praying with him, make a firm decision to follow him. I don't know what it is, but it's something about saying it before God that carries so much more weight. I, I said it a thousand times, I'm not going to do this anymore. But I would do it again. But one time I was in prayer, and I'd had a couple of kidney stones or something, and God says, coffee's bad for you. Now some of you are hearing that and saying, well, I'm not stopping drinking coffee. God didn't tell you coffee's bad for you. He told me coffee's bad for me. Okay? So don't, don't revolt on me. Some of you are almost out of here on that one. <laughs> he told me that coffee is bad for me. And I thought to myself, if God is willing to speak to me about something, I know it's good for me. And so I was ready. When God speaks to you, now's the time to respond. And I said, God, I'll never drink coffee again. God, I want to drink coffee. I like coffee. And I know I can't do it in my own strength. But if you will help me, I will never drink coffee again. That's been probably 10 years ago. Have I ever drank coffee since then? Do I want to drink coffee? When, when you're drinking coffee in the morning with all your little spices and, and your new coffee machine that you show me how it works, it only takes 30 seconds. So I make the decision before God. But I let him know that I can't do this without you, God. I want to say that again. Find out God's will. Fervently pray until you know what it is. And if he's telling you to quit something, if he's telling you to start something, then he's going to empower you to do it. Where the word of God is, there's power to accomplish. He shall not send his word forth and it's going to come back void. There is power where the Word of God is. Know the Word of God, the rhema Word of God, not just the Logos. Don't just pick you a scripture and say, this is mine, but pray until one of these becomes yours. And then say, God, 
with all this within me, I make a firm decision. I will never do this, or I will always do this, or whatever he's telling you to do. Make that decision before God and say, God, you're going to have to help me. And if you mess up and drink coffee, go to 1 John 1, 9 and get back in the game. Start over again. God's not always just going to take stuff from you. He's trying to ultimately get something. Have you ever had a kidney stone? I would never drink coffee again. A firm decision made before God will give you the strength to remain on the rock when the storms of temptation arise. You've got you to make your decisions before God. Along with the firm decision, how about it? we use a little common sense? We don't go to the Cheesecake Factory when we just started our, our diet. But even if you're thrust into the Baskin-Robbins of all temptations, your firm decision, because it's based on your love for Jesus, because you told Jesus that you wouldn't, and because you know his love for you, that love will empower you to say no or to say yes or to whatever he's asking you to do. If, if God asked you to do it and you gave him your will, you've given him license to move in your life. You're just going to go around that mountain in your own strength? He'll just sit back and say, okay, well, he'll learn eventually. But if you've given him your firm decision, you've given him your will, he'll provide you a way of escape from the temptation. Even if he has to get in the fire with you, he'll make sure you come out smelling like roses. So the question is, are you willing to make those firm decisions, even if it costs you something in the flesh? I can guarantee you the end result is going to be what you want. But if it costs you maybe your comfort, cost you maybe a relationship that's toxic to you. Maybe it cost you a job. Cost you a, a certain lifestyle that you want to live, but it's, it's weighing you down. Maybe you have to put that box of Twinkies back. I don't know what it is. Serving God is going to cost you. But it, there comes a good payday. There is a good payday. And I know you're determined to see God's will in your life. Philippians 2.13 says, For God is working in you. Put that on the board. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. He's putting desires in your heart if you'll listen. If, the, if you'll make those desires your desires, He'll give you the power to do what pleases Him. See, then he gets all the credit. And we can relax. Jesus said, come follow me. And he didn't abide any excuses. I've noticed that about him. He will just let you make your own mistakes and be hard-headed until you, you come to a place of understanding, I need to get on board. Let's turn to Luke 9, 57 and we'll close. Luke 9, 57. Verse 57, it says, As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, 
I'll follow you wherever you go. You've probably said that. We've probably all said that. Jesus, I'll follow you. That's easy to say, isn't it? But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to even lay his head. Do you understand what you're getting into? Verse 59, he said to another person, come follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. He didn't abide excuses. If you study that out, I believe what it's saying is the man's dad hadn't even died yet. He just wants to go. He's, what he's doing is making excuses, and Jesus sees through our excuses. Sorry. You might lie to me. You might lie to your boss. You might lie to each other. But you can't lie to God. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Either Jesus is your Lord or he's not. Now, I've lived both sides of the equation. You know my testimony. And I've seen the cost of not following him. And I have seen and measured the cost of following him. I know both sides. And it's for me and my house. Me and my house. I'm going to follow the Lord. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.